What's up, Fusion? How y'all doing? That's all we got? Come on. I feel like so much has happened since I last preached here. Uh, LeBron left the Cavaliers because he couldn't win with them. Uh, what else happened? I think we had some really awesome nights here. I heard that uh, Erskine killed it the first night. I heard BJ killed it the second week, and then I heard Eric destroyed it on the third week. And uh, I also heard that there were like 700 people up in here one of those nights. And so uh, God is answering prayers, man. He's bringing the young adults of our city into relationship with him and into the church. And so thank you, Kev, for clapping. And you too, even though I don't know your name. Uh, what is your name, by the way? Santidra. I say that right? Nice to meet you, Santidra. I appreciate the clap when nobody else was clapping. I got you. Uh, we believe that God is calling us to reach so many more young adults than we're already reaching. We're grateful that you're all here tonight, uh, but I know that there's so much more in store as we progress into the future. Uh, another thing that happened, how many of y'all were here last week? Uh, so we had a worship night, time of just worshiping Jesus through songs and then praying, believing that God's going to change some stuff in our lives personally, but also in our nation and around the world. And then at the end, a lot of people got baptized about... Uh, I don't remember. I think it was like 14 or so. And uh, one of the girls uh, who got baptized, uh, she, I think three of them were planned. The rest were not planned. Uh, they just got in when they gave their life to Jesus, which I think is awesome. And then uh, one of the girls I heard just, I heard this just today. One of the girls who spontaneously got baptized that night on Sunday, she led her roommate to Jesus. So what's up with that? That's awesome. Uh, let me see. Did I miss anything? Uh, no, LeBron left. Erskine, BJ, Eric killed it. All right, here we go. So uh, I'm so happy to be here. It's so cool, man. I missed Fusion while I was gone. Uh, there's no other place where you can come in with like hoedown type music at the start and you see a whole bunch of black people jumping up and down. It just doesn't happen anywhere else in our city. And so I just love being here. Um, I know that might have offended some of you. If it did, I'm so sorry. Some of you are like, what hoedown? What is he talking about? I'm not talking about hoedown. I'm talking about it's a genre of music. Hoedown, like the knee slapping, all that kind of stuff. And so I just love it, man. I love being here. Uh, so I planned to start a series called Joshua, and it was going to be about Joshua and what God did in his life and uh, what we can learn and how we can live, kind of like Joshua in some ways. But I wanted to share with y'all uh, something or some things that I feel like God put on my heart while I was away for a few weeks. And so are y'all down with that? All right, good. So um, I'll start with saying this. For me, this is a kind of a weird message. I normally don't talk about stuff like this. Uh, it's kind of emotional. I'm not, I don't mean like I'm going to cry emotional, but like it deals with the emotions. And so honestly, I feel kind of uh, girly uh, sharing this message. And that may have offended some of you as well. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just saying like, I'm not used to this stuff. I am a man uh, who sometimes does not deal with emotions well. And uh, some of anybody else, any men like that in the room? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, by the way, here's another thing. We're actually recording our uh, sermons now, so we're going to put them up on our website. So if y'all want to share them, 
you can do that. Uh, but let me just start with a story. Uh, about five years ago, I went out to play laser tag with a bunch of people from Fusion. Some of, probably nobody in this room was there that night. But if you know me and you know laser tag or any kind of game sport, whatever, you know, I, I don't come to just play and have fun. I come to destroy the competition. And so I was going all out, you know, ducking behind the corners, you know, waiting for somebody to come by, snipe them, all that kind of stuff. And uh, one time I kind of ducked down. And I got up, and it felt like something was just kind of not right in my knee, so I just kind of did this right here, and I kept on moving, kept shooting people, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that round is over. We start another round. I duck behind another corner, and then I get back up, and it really feels kind of weird. And I'm like, I, I, I remember kind of feeling this when I was like a kid, maybe one time playing basketball, but I've never felt this before. So just kind of shook it off. Everything felt normal. And then, uh, you know, things happened that night. I don't remember who won, but I'm pretty sure it was me if it wasn't me then that's what I like to think, at least it was me. And so I, I ended up going, we were staying with my in-laws at the time, and so they were right up the street. And um, I'm going to get in bed and with my wife, which is so awesome to do if you're married. It's so cool to get in bed with your spouse. It's so good. And uh, so I'm sorry, am I making you blush back there? I kind of saw you do this one right here. Yeah, I'm talking to you, you who are talking to your friend. Uh, y'all doing all right over there? Y'all feeling okay? It's good to see you. Uh, all right, so I'm, I'm getting in bed with my wife, and uh, it's like the bed's about this high, so I, I go to get in bed, and I do this, and something just snaps in my knee. And I was like, oh, like I, my, I, like I got chills just streaming down my body. I started sweating immediately, and my wife is there. She's like, what's going on? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm okay, you know, it'll, it'll just go back like it did, you know, an hour or so ago, and I'm just like trying to get whatever happened back in place, and it's not going back in place, and so my leg just kind of sticks like this, and then I'm like, okay, babe, you know, I, I think maybe I'll just go to sleep, I'll wake up, and it'll, it'll all be gone, the pain will be gone, and uh, I think it was maybe 11 o'clock at that point, three hours or four hours later, I woke up, and my knee was like this, and I was like, babe, I cannot move. I can't do anything. I think we need to call uh, the emergency room, whatever. I, ambulance. I tried getting up. I couldn't even get out of the bed. We were upstairs. I could not step down the stairs. So we called an ambulance uh, for, for Gwinnett Hospital. I think that's the name of it. Uh, they were about two miles away. So they rushed to me. They do the little stretcher thing up the stairs. They put me on the stretcher. They kind of wheel me down the stairs, put me in the ambulance. We drive two miles down the road. They shoot me up with a whole bunch of morphine. And I'm like, what is happening? Can y'all fix this? Like, I've never felt this kind of pain before. And so they're like, okay, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take x-rays. So uh, they shoot me up with some morphine. And they start pushing my knee down on the table. And I'm like, I can't take this. Please stop. So they shoot me up with more, more morphine. And I'm like, it still hurts really bad. I've never. And they, they just just keep pressing my knee down until it's all the way straight. They take the x-ray and they say, okay, nothing's broken. I'm like, why did we have to do this? And then, but we're going to schedule an MRI, you know, a few weeks from now. So they schedule the MRI. I go to MRI and I find out that it was a meniscus tear. I tore my meniscus. Don't really know how it happened, why it happened, or any of that kind of stuff. But uh, after that, I was... Uh, I was on crutches. Any of y'all ever torn anything in your body before? Is it not like the worst thing in your life? Uh, you know, I, uh, I just hate thinking about it, but I'm thinking about it right now. So I'm, I'm in this little like makeshift. It's not a cast, but it's like a Velcro thing that keeps my legs straight and my legs swelling up. But at the same time, it's losing all the muscle in there. And I'm like, can we just have surgery? Uh, like if I'm Derek Rose, they would have had surgery on me last night, but I got to wait three, four weeks for this thing. So I have surgery. Wake up from surgery, and the 
best I can do is still kind of go with the crutches. And then a little time goes by, I go, go through physical therapy, and the best I can do is just kind of walk like this. Any of y'all ever, like, you've, you've maybe sprained an ankle before or torn something, broken something, you're just kind of limping around. Have any of y'all, y'all done this before? Okay. So I'm, I'm limping around everywhere that I'm going. This, by the way, my wife is pregnant at the time. We're moving into our new home at the time. So it's just not a good time to have a torn meniscus and then surgery afterwards. And then I'm finding out that, like, this leg, is like uh, a third less the size of this leg. I'm like, what is happening? Like, I did not know my life would go this way. Uh, but I, I began to walk with a limp. And what I found out, if you've ever had a limp, um, you kind of get used to the limp. And you all ever gotten used to the limp before? It's like you're just kind of walking, and this just becomes normal in life. It just becomes normal in life. And I'll I'll never forget, through lots of physical therapy and and exercises and all that kind of stuff, I remember one day I was in a shopping center close to my house, and I was going to get my wife something. And usually when I would run, I would have to kind of, well, I wasn't limping on the right. I was limping on the left. So I would have to limp like this and just kind of run. I probably looked like an idiot, you know, but I'm doing this, going to get my wife. Like I'm 90 years old. And then one day I remember she wanted me to go get something. I, I would just kind of test out my leg. And so what I would, what I did, I remember that day, I was like, oh, snap. Oh, snap, I'm running. I'm like, I, I literally raised my hands. I'm like, I don't care who is watching because when you've been living with a limp for so long, it's like that moment where the limp goes away, everything changes. You don't care who's watching, what they think. You're like, I worship Jesus because he's healing me. And here's what I believe tonight. Many of us may not have a physical limp but our souls are limping around in our lives. And what has happened with so many of us is we don't even realize we're limping around anymore. It's been happening for so long, it's just kind of become our norm. I'll give you a few examples of what that might look like in some of our lives. Some of us, we have this limp where we're always pleasing people instead of God. It's, we make our decisions based on what people are going to think about us, what mom and dad told us to do, what, how you know, our friends are going to view us or whatever. And so there's, like, there's this thing in our soul that says, I really want to please God, but for some reason I keep going back to this limping lifestyle and doing things that I regret. For some of us, limping around might look like this. Whenever we sin, any of y'all sinned any time recently? Just a few of us, maybe 20% of the room. I'm so glad the rest of y'all are way further on this journey than I am, but... Uh, you ever been in a place where you sin and you do that sin and it's like that sin that you never thought that you would do and you do that sin and rather than running to Jesus, you start running even further into sin. You know, the Bible tells us that there's basically two types of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow leads us back to Jesus, leads us to repentance. Worldly sorrow drives us deeper into depression and hating ourselves. And some of us, whenever we really blow it, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're like, you know, I can't come to church at least for three weeks because I got to, I don't know, wait three weeks before I can come back to church and kind of feel okay. And maybe me and God need some time. And after some time, he'll kind of really forgive me this time. Some of us might be walking around with that kind of a limp. Some of us, uh, we have a limp where we wake up every morning or most mornings or a lot of mornings just with dread. Like we were supposed to be the most joyful people on this planet. And some of us, the limp in our soul is every time we wake up, it's like, do I have to do today again? 
do I have to live again? Do I have to go to my job? Do I have to be around my family? Do I have to be around my friends? Why does life have to be so hard? And rather than being full of the joy that God wants to give us, we're full of the dread that the world is trying to push into our lives. Maybe for some of us, um, we are just striving to stay in the game of following Jesus rather than being all in passionate for him. I don't know if that's some of you. I've been in, in, in that place in my life before where it's like, I really don't want to read my Bible, God. I really don't want to pray. I really don't want to get around any of these church people. I kind of, I don't even want to be around you, God. And that's a limp. That's something that's happening in our souls that needs to be fixed where that, that limping begins to turn into a passion for Jesus. It can look like a lot of different things. And chances are there might be some of us in this room who've got some things going on in our soul. And God will call it out tonight and heal you from it tonight. Um, yeah. Thank you, Angel. It's good seeing you, Angel. Um, John eight thirty two. Jesus said this. He said, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Um, here's what I think, where I think we have a problem in the church. Um, truth is, a lot of us don't know truth anymore. Even those of us in church. We kind of know about truth or something about truth because we heard a pastor talk about this truth, but we don't even really know it was actually in the Bible. And because we don't know truth, we're still living life with a limp. And Jesus says, hey, I came to bring you truth. By the way, I am the truth, Jesus said. So if you come after me, you will be set free. Here's what I believe. I believe that the enemy, if he can't keep you away from Jesus and salvation, he will do as much as he can to try and get you walking around with a limp. To try and, if he can't completely destroy your eternity, he'll do whatever he can to destroy you right now. And tonight is a night where my goal is that you guys would hear and see and be delivered through this truth. All right, so I'm going to give you some truth. And it might sound kind of girly to some of y'all. I don't care because I feel like it's what I'm supposed to say. First thing, first truth to set you free uh, is this. I wasn't made to hide. I wasn't made to hide. Uh, y'all, most of you know the story of Adam and Eve, right? You know how it goes? Anybody? Okay. Uh, if you don't know, you never read the Bible, you never heard of how humanity started it started out perfect paradise adam and eve were both naked felt no shame at all and i i don't that's not just like they didn't feel bad about their bodies or whatever their image but they had no shame at all about who they were as people they were fully accepted fully loved but then they sin and what's the very first thing they do as soon as they sin hide they start hiding. They, they, they try hiding from God. They try hiding from each other. They, they cover uh, themselves up with, with leaves. And they're like, and, and God comes around and he's like, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? What's going on? And they're like, we were hiding because we were naked. And he's like, who told you that you were naked? You were never meant to hide. We can look at Adam and Eve and we're like, man, they're so foolish. I can't believe they put on fig leaves and all that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you that we still do the same stuff today. When we sin, when we crumble, when we do the things that we really, really, really regret, how many of us hide at least, if not all of our lives, at least that piece of our lives? I, I, know, I know some of y'all because I see you at the doors and I see you out in society and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? And here's what your soul looks like. You're like this. I'm doing really good. I'm awesome. Life is good. Don't look at me. Because I'm trying to hide a whole bunch of stuff. But life, life is good. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. 
I'm the, uh, the saved of the Lord. I'm sealed for the day of redemption. God got me. We're hiding. And that's a problem. I can't find any Bible verse in the Bible. I can't find anywhere where Jesus is talking and he, and he says this. You know what? Start hiding. When you sin, go hide. When you sin, quit sharing your life with other people. No, instead, he says, let your light shine for all to see. And to be honest, there's some darkness in there that is keeping the light from shining. And the only way that that darkness can be overcome by the light is when we bring that darkness into the light and we stop hiding. Here's what Paul said. Y'all know who Paul is, by the way? Paul was that guy. He wrote a whole bunch of the Bible. Like God used him to write a whole bunch of verses in the Bible. And here's what he said in 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16. He said, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. The guy who wrote around two-thirds of the New Testament, God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. The, The very Bible we're reading right now, The guy who was helping to build churches all around the world. One of the the pioneers of our faith said, hey, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. By the way, just so you all know, I'm the worst of them all. But how often do we get in church settings or Christian settings or even in world settings and we think that we've got to hide our junk? But Paul, one of our greatest examples, said Jesus came to save the world. And I'm the worst of all the sinners out here. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they, too, can believe in him and receive eternal life. I want to read that last sentence one more time. Then others will realize that they, too, can believe in him and receive eternal life. Here's what I want to say. Maybe one of the reasons people choose to not follow Jesus is because they see too many Christians in hiding. Why do we try to act like we've got it together? Who told us we had to have it all together? Is there anybody? But there's, there's like there's internal or external pressure. Like we, we, we have to be a light to the world. And so therefore, the only way we can be a light is to hide all of the darkness. No, Jesus is the light. Jesus comes inside of us. So if you see any light shining out of me, it's because of him. And any of that bad stuff, let me tell you what he does with it. He forgives it over and over and over and over again. I don't have to hide it anymore. I was not made to hide. You were not made to hide. So uh, is it cool if I come out of hiding for a little bit? Is it cool if I share with you all some of my sins? Do you all want to hear some of my sins? Why? Why do you want to hear my junk? Think about it for a second. I think this is the reason why, because when you hear my junk, then you'll feel better about your junk. Then you'll know you're not the only one. Well, well, if if the pastor does it, then then it's not so bad if I do it. You know what? Let's quit rating each other on our levels of sinning and not sinning or whatever. And let's just all admit for a second that we all have stuff that we would rather stay hidden, but it cannot hide because we were not made to hide. And you know what? When people find out what we have done. They may reject us, but I would so much rather be rejected for who I really am and what I have really done than accepted for being fake. (laughs) 
Do you all really want to hear some of my sins? No, not anymore. What if I just tell you, like, maybe I sinned this way? Would that help? Yeah, okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe I've cheated on my wife before. Maybe. We're like, oh, snap. Maybe I've uh, dropped the F-bomb in the last three or four days. Am I proud of it? I don't know, because maybe I did it, maybe I did not. I don't know. Uh, maybe I've been selfish the entire 31 years that I've been living. Maybe I um, have broken promises. Maybe I have pretended to love people and not ever really loved them. Maybe I treat Jesus more like as a to-do list rather than as the God that he is. Maybe, 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 um, I don't know. What other stuff have I done? By the way, I have cheated on my wife. Not with another woman, but with this. I, at one point in my life, have thought this is more important than her. So I'm like, well, that's not so bad. Yes, it is. There was a day where I stood on a platform, not in this building, but the one next door. And I looked her in the eyes and I said, I will lay down my life for you. This is my commitment to you. And you know what I did? I laid down my life for the church instead. So I broke promises. I cheated on her. Um, I did not do what I said that I would do. And some of you are like, oh, man, you're just such a bad person. I am. I really am. That's why I need Jesus. See, I, I think that's the problem with hiding. Whenever you keep hiding stuff, you don't realize how desperately you really do need him. But when you come out of hiding and you say, look, I, I have done some really foolish things. I do have regrets. Anybody who says I live life with no regrets, you're a fool. Because I don't know anybody who has lived life with not one single regret. Every sin is a regret. We can be honest. We can be open. We were not made to hide. We were made to be free. Paul, one of our examples, said, hey, Jesus came to save sinners By the way, I'm the worst. If Paul, one of our quote-unquote fathers of the faith, can say he's the worst of sinners, I think I can too. And you know what? Some of you may quit listening to me now as a pastor. I'm okay with that. Go find a fake pastor who's never quote-unquote sinned at all in their life. But I've blown it over and over and over again. And I'm not making excuses for it. I need to repent. I need to turn away from the things that I used to do and the way that I used to be. But I've got to quit hiding this junk. I've got to come out of hiding. Second truth sets us free. Uh, God wants me. I'll never forget sitting in a service. And um, like we've all, most of us have heard God loves you, right? But this pastor said, not only does God love you, God likes you. There's a difference there. Because you know, when you love somebody, love can be like a choice. You know, like love, I I don't feel like loving you today, but I'm going to choose to love you today. But when you like somebody, it's like you want to be around them. You want to be in their life. You want to know them. They, you want them to know you. God wants us. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I shared this with my wife not long ago. And she didn't, I, I think I shared it with her longer ago, but then I told her again recently, but she didn't remember the first time, or maybe I really didn't tell her and I'm just making it up, but... Uh, I, I remember being a kid, 
I don't know, I was probably eight years old. I was a little chunky at the time. I had My freckles were a lot more apparent. My hair was a lot more red. Um, my eyes still look like my eyes today. And uh, I remember standing in front of the mirror, just alone in the bathroom, and just kind of looking at myself. And I'm like, looking at my eyes, looking at my freckles, looking at my big cheeks, looking at my bowl cut hair that's red, my, my buck teeth before I had braces. And I thought, you're ugly. I don't know if any of you ever had that moment. Like, I did. And I, I'm not saying you should have that moment or you need to, but for whatever. Maybe it was like all these demons were around me like, yeah, say it. Say it. Come on, believe it. You're ugly. You know, I don't, I don't know what was going on in the unseen, but I know this. I was looking in the mirror and just the thought came to mind. I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, you're pretty ugly. And uh, it didn't help that I had a sister who uh, I always uh, roughed her up and we had uh, dogs that would poop in our backyard and I would try to put her face in the poop and she had no defense because I was stronger and bigger than her. And so she would just say things like, David, you're fat, you know, and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, we just hated each other a lot. Growing up. We love each other now, though. But um, for me... I grew up believing about myself, and it wasn't just as a kid, but it, it went into teenage years, it went into young adult years, and sometimes I still deal with it. You're ugly. That's what I think about myself. That's what I did think about myself. Um, and y'all been to Forward before here on the weekend? There's, there's like one session where, at least when I did it, they were like, okay, let God speak to you. What's one word? Did, did y'all do this? Okay, so... What's one word that you feel like God is identifying you? What's, if he had to put an identity, a label on you, what's that one word that he's speaking to you right now? And I feel like that one word he spoke to me when I went through Ford was this, handsome. And that changes things. Because when you think you're ugly, you think you're unwanted. And when you think you're unwanted, you try really hard to be wanted for all the wrong reasons. And so I remember being a redhead, cut the bowl cut off. Did the little spiky hair. This is back in the early 2000s. Little blonde highlights back when that was cool. And uh, American Eagle, Abercrombie, and Fitch. I was white, okay? And I still am. And, uh, and you, you know, first years of college wearing girl pants, fitting into the emo scene and all that. Just wanting to belong somewhere. Wanting to be liked. Here's, here's what I believe in this room. Some of you, not all, but some of you, you may not think that you're unwanted because of your looks, although that might be some of us, but some of you may think that you're unwanted because of your education level. You've been turned down by jobs. Well, we don't want you because you're not smart enough. You don't have the degree. You don't have the paper, whatever. Some of you feel unwanted because of your race. You're black, you're white, you're Hispanic, you're Asian, you're whatever, so therefore you are not wanted by certain groups of society. Some of you may feel unwanted because your career hasn't quite taken off like you thought it would. Some of you may feel unwanted because of your history. Mom and dad told you, either through their words or their actions, we never wanted you. Some of you may feel unwanted because of the thing you just did recently. I, I've blown it. I never thought I would have done this. And now the people around me don't even want me anymore. For me, when I felt unwanted and I did not know who really did want me, I tried looking at all kinds of places. I think that's one of the reasons I went to porn. is because porn, the woman cannot tell you that you are not wanted 
The woman just, you play and you play and you watch and you watch and you watch and you just fantasize and believe that they want you. There was something in my soul saying, does anybody out there want me? In the middle of all of that, God says, I do. Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, one of the most awesome verses in the Bible, in my opinion, says this. This is God speaking to his people. He says, can a mother forget her nursing child? Okay, pause. Keep that up there, though. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Any, any moms in here, by any chance? Okay. It's going to get a little awkward for the non-moms in here, and especially the guys. Uh, for the moms in the room, I know some of you did not breastfeed. Some of you did breastfeed. Okay? Right? Yeah, 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 we did. Some of us. Okay. Um, or some of you knew people who have breastfed. Anybody know anybody who's breastfed in their life? Okay, yeah. Any, any of y'all, by chance, did you breastfeed when your mom was feeding you? You're like, I, don't, I never asked. This is too awkward. Where are you going with this? Why are we talking about this? Let me just kind of try to get through your head what God is saying here. Can a mother forget her nursing child? So if you've ever been out in public, you kind of see that towel, you know, that just you don't really know what's happening under the towel. And then you walk by and you're like, oh, that's what's happening. Have you ever wondered with that mom with the towel and the baby under the towel, I wonder if she forgot about her baby. Like the baby's like, you know, like sucking stuff out of the mom. Do you think that a woman can forget a child that is nursing on her boobs? Is that possible? It's not. Okay, so here's what God is asking. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Some of you are like, what? Like, that's, that's crazy. There's like billions of people in the world. How could he write my name among the billions? You don't know how big God's hands are. You don't know how much he wants you. You don't even know how big your name is written on his hands. If there was some kind of a way that a mom could forget her nursing child, here's what you need to know. God could not forget you. It's impossible. He wants you. Second Peter 3, 9 says this. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think, because that's what happens. You know, you're like, God, where, where are you? Are you here for me? Do you like me? Do you want me? Like, have you left me? Have you abandoned me? And Peter's telling us the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You can read that with one of two filters. You can either say, God's just this angry, fiery judge out there. He just wants everybody to repent because he hates all the sin in the world. True. But God wants everyone to repent because he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants everyone to be with him forever and ever and ever. God did not just say, okay, I'm going to love you because I said way back in eternity somewhere, I chose to love you, so I got to be good on my word. No, he said, I want to love you. I want to go to a cross for you. I want you to turn away from the life you used to live and the person you used to be so that we can be together forever. That's how much I want you. And just in case it wasn't clear, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 tells us like this. And let us run with endurance. The race God has set before us. In other words, quit running with limps in our lives. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How do we do that? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. If there is 
nothing else on this planet to tell you God wants you. Just go back to that moment on the cross where he's like, there is joy here. There is joy waiting for me because when this is all finished, I breathe my last breath. I rise from the dead three days later. They can be mine. I can be theirs. They can follow me. We can be together forever. For the joy, that doesn't even seem right. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. How many of y'all are, are married in here? You married? Any, any married people? Okay. Uh, I don't know if your wedding day was like this. Um, ours wasn't super, super fancy. Uh, but I remember that moment where I'm standing on the stage. And we were over in that building over there. So I'm at the very bottom of the room. And the door is way, way, way up, up the top. And she's about to walk down all these steps. And I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm waiting. The song's finishing. I know she's getting ready to come out. And I'm like, oh, snap. Oh, snap, like it's about to go down. Like, I don't, my leg's stiff. Am I going to faint? Am I going to fall? Like, there's, there's so much joy happening. And then the doors open and the light is shining perfectly behind her. We didn't even plan it that way, but the sun's coming through. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, here she comes. This is it. I'm like tearing up, or I don't know if I was tearing up. But either way, I couldn't control what was happening. The joy was overflowing because I knew what was coming. Because I had so much joy, I was willing to endure the three and a half years of dating before she finally said yes to us getting married. And that's no big deal compared to the joy that was waiting for Jesus when he decided, hey, I'm going to carry this cross. I'm going to get whipped. I'm going to get beaten. People aren't going to trust me, believe in me. They're going to spit in my face. But there is so much joy for this moment because I know what is on the other side of this moment. I want my people, my daughter, my son so bad that I'm willing to endure the cross. That is how much he wants us. And I don't know if it's hitting you right now. If it's not, go back and read those scriptures in your own time or find other ones. Say, God, will you show me and help me to understand just how much you want me? Um, Because here's the truth. If you know that God wants you, you care a whole lot less about how much people want you. I'm going to be real. Um, I still want to be wanted. I really do. Like, I, I want to be needed or feel needed. I want to be wanted when people reject me. It still hurts. But when I go back to this solid truth that God really does want me, all of the pain of rejection is so much easier to deal with. Because even at the end of the day, people may not want me once they find out who I really am. People may not want me when they find out what I've really done. People may not want me when they realize just how weird my personality actually is. People may not want me when my career path doesn't look successful anymore. People may not want me when they see that I only have like 500 or something followers on Instagram. But God wants me. When you realize how much God wants you, you don't go to your job to try to find fulfillment anymore. When you realize how much God wants you, you don't check social media 80 times per day to see if somebody else liked you. Because God, the creator of everything, everybody The one who is love himself wants me. God wants me. That truth has to set us free tonight. Third and final thing, and this may be the um, weirdest one of all for me to talk about, but it's worth talking about. Truth to set you free. My feelings matter. My feelings matter. Um, Ladies in the room, uh, I need you to help me. Can you all help me, ladies? Okay. 
Men in the room, can you all raise your hand real quick? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Keep it up. Keep it up. All right, ladies in the room, I need you to look at a man and say, your feelings matter. But say it like you mean it. Go ahead. Do it. Because we're, we're told. Yeah, go. Isn't this awkward? Isn't this awkward? All right. Some of y'all men, you can put your hands down. I know you're like, I really need to hear this. Because here's what society tells the men in the room. Just be a man. Suck it up. Get over it. Deal with it. Fix the problem. Don't really talk about your feelings. And some of you ladies have been taught the same thing. It's not just a man thing. But I kind of want to bring this truth into focus. Jesus had feelings. And he shared his feelings. So I'm going to read a little bit of what Jesus felt. By the way, who are we supposed to be like as Christians? Jesus. John 11, 33 through 38. Uh, Jesus, he's, he's, this is at this moment where Lazarus had just died. He's going to see the family. And John eleven thirty three tells us, When Jesus saw the family, uh, his, Lazarus' sister weeping, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger, a feeling, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. More feelings. Where have you put him, he asked them. Like, th- there's something that is ticking him off right now. Then it says, they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. I don't know, maybe Jesus goes outside the tomb and he just loses it. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. And then if you've read the story, you know what happens next. Roll the stone aside. Jesus says, come on out, Lazarus. Lazarus comes out, really creepy, really weird. He's been dead for four days. Jesus is like, unwrap him. Uh, you know, he's alive. But before all of the miracles, the feelings. And I think we get a little, we get ourselves in a little bit of trouble when we don't allow God to take us through a process of dealing with our feelings. Matthew 26, 37 through 38. This is right before Jesus is going to the cross. He knows what's about to come. He knows he's about to be betrayed by one of his best 12 friends. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. I I, want to pause here and then I'll read the rest because I just thought about it. Um, You know, I'm not saying that like Christian movies are bad or movies with Jesus in them are terrible, but one of the problems i think with them and who am i to critique because i'm no director or producer or whatever but jesus always just looks like this oblivious guy who has no feelings doesn't he he's always holding his hands out it's all okay throw your net over you'll catch fish you know don't worry lazarus is dead but he'll come alive (laughs) jesus was like i'm so ticked off right now I'm so, and then he's so angry, so distressed that he just starts losing it in front of all these people. Matthew 26 is what we we're just reading. He took, he's talking to some of his dudes. He's like, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Will you guys just stay here and keep watch with me? We just stay awake, please. Come on, somebody just stay by my side. I don't want to be alone. I know what's about to happen. Somebody stay here. What do the guys do? Fall asleep. 
I'm sure it did not make his feelings any better. Jesus had feelings. And as Christians, it's okay, and it's not just okay, but it's necessary that we tell ourselves that our feelings matter and our feelings are real. And I know some of you might be debating this in your head because you might have the same track record that I do. Um, back before I followed Jesus, I really knew what my feelings were. Anybody else? Like, you, your feelings, they just kind of exploded sometimes. Okay, nobody? Okay. Um, I found... That when I was depressed, angry, sad, happy, whatever, my feelings would just flow. And oftentimes they would so overflow that I would find my feelings leading me into sin. I feel alone. Let me go find a girl. I feel sad. Let me go listen to some depressing music and make myself hate myself. I'm so happy. Let's go do stuff with my friends that we should not be doing together because life is awesome right now. And so I take my past pattern of knowing my feelings and dealing with my feelings and my feelings leading me to sin. And therefore, I'm not saying this is everybody, but for me, here's what, what happened. I said, OK, my feelings used to lead me to sin. Now I'm following Jesus. So I got to stuff the feelings down because I don't want those feelings to lead me into sin again. But what I've learned is. Your feelings can lead you into sin, but they can also drive you closer to Jesus. And what we have to do as men and women in this room is to be okay with not being okay. There's, there's actually a verse in the Bible that says, hey, are any of you, um, you happy, you excited, you joyful? Go ahead and start singing songs. Do a praise break, whatever. It didn't say it that way, but it just said, hey, worship. Like, this is awesome that God is doing so much. Anybody not doing so hot will, will, will grieve, will mourn. Feel whatever you're feeling. Psalm 62, 8 says it like this. Oh, my people, trust in God at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Hey, people, people who follow God, here's what you're supposed to be doing. Pour out your heart, your feelings, your emotions, your desires, your lack thereof, your, your numbness, whatever is going on, pour that out to him. Trust in him at all times. What happens is if we bury our feelings and pretend that our feelings don't exist, I want you to know something. They're still there and they're going to come out one way or another. That's why God says, hey, instead of burying them and them overflowing into a pile of mess, why don't you pour it out onto me? You can trust me with your feelings. I, I'm not just going to rebuke you for feeling some kind of way. I'm going to lead you and guide you through whatever it is you're feeling. And so I'll share with you a quick little story about what that has looked like for me. It's not some super deep emotional thing, but it's something that I think that I've kind of done in lots of areas of my life. But. One of the areas is uh, some of you know that me and Amber have a desire to adopt one day. We want to adopt a kid from China. And um, we found out that to adopt a kid who has no uh, special needs, it would be like a nine or ten year process. And so I'm like, okay, God, um, I'm a little uncomfortable because I don't know if I can do this. I used to work with people with special needs and I, I don't want to be a, I don't, it's not that I think that they're lesser people or that it's embarrassing. It's just, I think that I would be a really terrible dad. I don't know that I'd be good for them, but I feel like you've called me to this. And so what I would do with instances like this in the past is I would say things like, okay, you know what, God, 
You'll, you, you know, you're the provider. You'll provide for my emotions. God, you're the protector. You'll protect me. God, you're the healer. You'll, you'll, you'll heal them. You know, you'll heal me. You'll, you'll help us. You're the, you're the helper. You're our banner. And all that is true. And I need to say those things. But I don't need to just bury my feelings. Because if I'm going to be honest, here's what I have felt along this journey. I felt very insecure. I felt like I'm going to fail as a dad, fail as a husband, fail as a dad already to my kid or my kids. I'm going to fail in lots of areas. I'm going to fail at work. I'm going to fail at adopting this child. Maybe this child will be better off not being adopted by us. Um, I'm not going to be provided for financially. I felt all of these things. It's scary. It costs like $40,000 to adopt a child. I'm like, God, where is this going to come from? And, And what I had to stop doing is just saying, I don't have feelings about this, God. I trust you with it, but instead had to say, I have a whole lot of feelings, God. I have a whole lot of feelings. And one of the feelings I have is I'm ready to give up right now. I'm ready to give up. This thing's taking too long. Uh, it feels like every time I, I try, it's, it's just too difficult. And I remember it was about two or three months ago where God said, I want you to start that process back up. Go ahead and start filling out the paperwork. And it took me weeks. I was so disobedient for so many weeks. And I remember going into my kitchen, printing uh, the papers I needed to sign. And literally, it's just so hard to plug in my printer and so hard to just put paper in. And I'm having to tell myself, you will print these sheets of paper. You will print these sheets of paper. You will sign these sheets of paper. You're going to pull up the files. You're going to hit enter. You're going to hit print. You're going to print them. I'm literally telling myself these things because I just feel like I cannot do this. It's too scary. And then it's like, okay, that's submitted. We got that. And then like, okay, now the money start has to start coming in. And I'm like, God, I just... I've tried so often, but it seems like every time I try to trust you financially in this area, something else breaks. Any of y'all ever been through something like that? It's like, God, I'm ready to get out of debt. Then your car just explodes, fire everywhere. You're like, God, where are you? You know, or, or you know, you're like, God, whatever. It's like, it just, it does not make sense in the moment why this is all happening. And so I'm like, God, I'm having a really hard time every time we start saving. Money just gets thrown out, taken away, whatever. I feel like it gets taken away. God, will you come through? God, I want to trust you. God, I'm trying to save, but it's not really working out too well. And it's not like I'm spending frivolously and crazy. I just don't know why this isn't happening the way I think it should happen. And you know what God said to me? Nothing, at least that I know of. But a couple weeks later, while I was on sabbatical, while I was in France, in Paris, I got an email. Hey, this part of the process has been approved. Just want you to know that the next part of the process, which cost $550, we are waiving that for anybody who signs up in June. And I'm like, what? Like, but I'm going to be honest. Here's some of my feelings. 550 that's great. But 40000 more to go. But I can pour those feelings out to him. And he can be trusted with my feelings. And he's going to show me over and over and over again, I got you. I got you. Don't bury the feelings. Be like Jesus. Be real about the feelings. I know that some of us in this room, uh, we've tried to bury too many feelings for too long. I'll just say a few things that might get uncomfortable. But I'm going to say it because you might be trying to bury it still. But it might maybe not everybody, but maybe some of us it needs to be brought up. Some of you you've been molested and you've tried really hard to bury those feelings and just forgive. Just forgive, just forgive, just forgive. Forgive and move on. Yes, forgive. Yes, move on. But pour out your heart to them. Some of you, you didn't have the parents that you think you should have had. Pour out your heart to them. Some of you are really angry at God right now. 
pour out your heart to him. Is that a sin to be angry at God? I don't know. I don't think so. I think you can share with him how frustrated you are at the things that are happening in your life. And, and you feel like, some of you may feel like God has abandoned you. Where are you at, God? What's up? You can pour out your heart to him. He can be trusted with that. I think some of us are too afraid to deal with the feelings because we think that the feelings are going to drive us away from Jesus. Honestly, they can. But if you bring your feelings to him, by default, you are coming closer to him. Drawing near to God does not just mean stopping sinning. Drawing near to God says, here's my heart, God. This is difficult. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm frustrated. I am bored. I'm numb. I thought this would be over by now. And so what, what I wanted to do right now is to give all of us in this room an opportunity to just pour out our hearts to God. And I'm not saying this has to get creepy and weird where we all just start screaming and crying and faking it and all that kind of stuff. Um, if it's okay for me to say, I know some of you might not be in church settings, some of you might need to scream and cry. If you want to do it here, this is an okay moment. We usually don't do that kind of stuff here. If you want to, it's okay. If you want to go in your car like right now because it is just bubbling up and you cannot be around anybody when that stuff is going down, go, leave, pour out your heart to them. Um, some of you, it's not even anything bad. It's actually, so many things are good. And we don't need to just pour out our heart to him and share our feelings and say our feelings matter whenever things are going bad. Man, pour out your heart to him when things are going well. Jesus, I praise you. Who am I? you would think about me who am I that you would bless me this much that I can stand on my two legs even though I've had a meniscus tear who am I that I would still be married even though I cheated on my wife with ministry who am I that I would have a five-year-old son who is so amazing and so 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 handsome and wonderful even though I've mistreated him for so many moments in his life who am I that I would have friends that became family who am I that I would be saved and be going to heaven right now. Who am I that you would even think about me, even hear my voice? I'm pouring out my heart to you, God. I'm just so grateful for you in this moment. It doesn't just have to be the bad. It doesn't just have to be the good. It can also be the numb. God, I'm not feeling anything. And I'm tired of not feeling anything. Will you help me to feel something? I don't know where this started, when it started, why it started, but will you help me to pour out my heart right now? So the band's going to lead us in a song. There's not a certain kind of way to go about this. If you want to come forward, come forward. If you want to sit, sit. If you want to stand, if you want to walk out, if you want to walk in the back, do whatever's going to help you pour out your heart. If you've got nothing to pour out because you already poured it out, fine. We're not here to judge. We're just here to be wanted by our God, to be with our God, to pour out our heart to him. So we're going to take a few minutes and do that. We have plenty of time. Uh, we intended for this moment to happen, so we left some time at the end of service for this moment. So just take your time. I want to encourage you, don't worry about what other people are thinking. But if you are too worried about what other people are thinking, go somewhere else and have your one-on-one -on -one with God. This is your moment to pour out your heart. So as you would like, as you desire, pour out your heart to Him.